Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is so good to be with you on this beautiful first Sunday of the season of Lent. And oh, what a unique beginning to the season of Lent it has already been. In all my years of attending Ash Wednesday worship services, I can't recall a single instance where I've ever shown up to an Ash Wednesday service where it was still 80 degrees outside. And so I guess if there's one thing that I would hope that I can give up for the remainder of Lent, it would be having to turn my air conditioning on at my house because it's just a little ridiculous to have it on in the month of February. Nevertheless, it is good to be here as we begin this holy journey together because today we begin a brand new sermon series. It's called A Mr. Rogers Faith in a Fast and Frenzied World. Now, if you are unfamiliar with Mr. Rogers, uh, Fred Rogers was a children's television host on PBS for over 30 years. He had a show called Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. And not only was he a television host on a children's program, but Mr. Rogers was also an ordained Presbyterian minister. And to him, those two things weren't distinct. They were one and the same. In fact, a journalist once said about Fred Rogers, he said, Fred Rogers taught us the gospel every single day without ever preaching a word. During the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at some spiritual practices during the season of Lent through the lens of Mr. Rogers' faith. And this morning, I want us to start with what I would like to call the sacred art of slowing down. Uh, I want us to look at a, a passage of Scripture that comes from the Gospel according to Luke. Uh, this passage may be familiar to you. It features two sisters. Their names are Mary and Martha. And although this is not a, a long story whatsoever, it's only four verses, there's a lot for us to learn from these two sisters about what it means to follow in Jesus' footsteps, indeed what it means for us to be disciples of Christ. This morning, we read from chapter 10, starting with verse 38. Hear now the word of God. Now, as Jesus and his disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, and she listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many preparations. So she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but there is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. So at the outset of this series, I, I want to confess that I am fully aware of just how self-indulgent it is for me to be doing a five-week sermon series on Mr. Rogers. 
Because if you've been here at all over the last seven months, then you've probably heard me say a time or two that, that Mr. Rogers has long been a spiritual hero of mine. He has long been someone that I have looked up to as kind of a hero of faith. In fact, if you were to ever come to my office uh, at any point, I would be happy to show you uh, one of my bookshelves behind my desk. It's, it's filled with all of my Mr. Rogers paraphernalia. I've got everything from, uh, from toys to uh, books on Mr. Rogers. I even have a decoupage Mr. Rogers rock that one of our church members lovingly uh, made for me. But perhaps my most treasured and prized Mr. Rogers possession was given to me by a family in this church for Christmas. On my shelves, you will find my very own Mr. Rogers lunchbox. Can I just tell you that my five-year-old self would be so jealous of my 42-year-old self if he saw this? So. If you ever came to my office, I could show you all of those many things. And so it's because of that that I will admit that I know it's self-serving for me to do an entire series on something that means so much to me. But what I want you to know this morning is this. The, re the fact that we're doing a series on Mr. Rogers is for good reason, if only because, in my opinion, if there is one person who kind of embodies what it means to live out Lenten spiritual disciplines, if there's one person who I think exemplifies what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus, it would be Fred Rogers. And that's because everything he did was in an effort to live out his faith. For instance, if you've ever seen an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood before, then you probably remember the very iconic opening scene to the show. Uh, the camera kind of pans in on this model neighborhood that Mr. Rogers lives in. And then when Mr. Rogers comes bursting through the door, Mr. Rogers tends to do three things. He's singing, he then changes into a zip-up cardigan, and then he sits down to change into more comfortable shoes. Now, most people remember that about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But what not everyone remembers is what happens just before that. In fact, so subtle is this one momentary scene at the beginning of every episode that you might miss it if you weren't looking for it. Just before Mr. Rogers walks through the door, the camera pauses on a blinking yellow traffic light. And Fred Rogers said that was always 100% intentional. The reason why, he said, is because if it were on red, that would mean stop. If it were on green, it would mean go. But yellow means slow down. And that was the message that he wanted to send to every viewer at the beginning of every episode. It's time to slow down. Now, I know that what I'm about to say might sound a little strange. In fact, it may be a bizarre connection for me to try to make here. But I've always thought that the season of Lent is kind of like a blinking yellow traffic light for our soul. That's because Lent is a journey. It's a 40-day journey that you and I take together with Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem, as he makes his way to Holy Week, as he makes his way to the cross, as he makes his way to the empty tomb. 
Lent is a journey that you and I take. And so therefore, our calling during Lent as Christians is not for us to stop, nor is it to fast forward so we can just get right to Easter. No, instead, it's, it's a calling to slow down, to take time to be intentional about focusing on the things that really matter in life. Lent is a season of slowing down. And if that's true, if, if, if Lent really is like a blinking yellow traffic light for our souls, then I would argue that there isn't anything that our culture needs right now more than that. Because as the sermon series title suggests, we live in a very fast and frenzied world. We live in a world right now that is just kind of always on the go and we are always moving from one place to the next. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I was reading an article that used a, a phrase that I thought was so interesting. I thought it was so appropriate to what we're talking about this morning. The article said that we're living in a culture that's defined by toxic busyness. Meaning that we don't just live in a world where our, our calendars are full, they're overfull. And our days aren't just scheduled, they're overscheduled. People all around us, including you and me, we are constantly on the go. We are always on the move. We're being pulled in a thousand different directions. And it can sometimes be hard for us to find a moment to stop, to slow down, and to catch our spiritual breath. Sometimes it can be hard for us to find an opportunity to get off of the treadmill of life. For instance, I have a friend who just got back from vacation. Um, last weekend, he and his family decided to go on winter break, and they got together, and they went on a much-needed, much-deserved family vacation. When I was talking to him about the vacation, he told me how excited he was for this. He said, because, Jeremy, i got to admit, life has been really busy for me as a pastor. You know, like, like Advent was busy, and then Christmas was busy, and then the New Year was busy, and now we're getting ready for Easter. And so I was ready to just take a vacation where I could finally catch my breath, where we could finally slow down, where we could finally just be together as a family and not feel like we were in a rush. So they decided to go to Walt Disney World. <laughs> and I asked him, so how did that go? Was it a very restful vacation? And he said, not exactly. Because what I didn't realize is that we were going to have to get up every single morning before 7 a.m. and make some kind of reservations on the Disney app for this, that, or the other. And then we were going to have to be out of the hotel before 8 a.m. because we wanted to make it to the parks by rope drop. Then all day we're in the parks and we're going here, there, and everywhere. We're park hopping all over the place. And then we would shut those parks down, get back to the hotel around midnight, and wake up the next morning and do it all over again. He said, after five days of that, he said, I finally had to go to the airport and, and come back to Atlanta early. My family stayed in Orlando. I had to come back early because that night was Ash Wednesday. So he said, I remember getting up early in the morning, rushing to the airport, making it on the plane, opening my laptop, and trying to write a very holy and solemn sermon for that night. The next day, I called him 
after the whirlwind of Ash Wednesday was over, and I said, so how are you feeling? <laughs> are, are, you, are you feeling as rest, rested and restful as you hoped you would? He said, Jeremy, I feel like I got hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> because I went away on my vacation tired, I came back exhausted, and I desperately need a vacation from my vacation. Some of us here this morning know it's exactly what that feels like. I mean, maybe, maybe not like a post-Disney trip level exhaustion, but we all know what that's like because we live in a world of toxic busyness. We all know what it's like to, to be on that hamster wheel of life and we feel like we've got to run just to keep up with all of the many things that we have going on in our lives, all of the priorities, all the things that are calling us to be in so many different places at once. We live in a world of toxic busyness. And I know that there are some people who would say, well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, at least you get a lot done that way. That is absolutely true. Here's the only problem. Jesus didn't call us to a life of productivity. Jesus called us to a life of discipleship. And discipleship is fundamentally incompatible with busyness. Your spiritual life is not just one of the many things that you can try to multitask. Spiritual growth is not something that you can attempt to microwave. No, discipleship will always require time. It will always require us to just slow down. Discipleship requires us to be able to make a distinction between what's important and what's essential. Now, in my opinion, there are at least two people who tended to do that really, really well. The first was Mr. Rogers, but the second was a woman named Mary who also uh, had a sister named Martha. Now, Luke doesn't tell us a whole lot about Mary and Martha as sisters. In fact, the story that we read this morning in chapter 10 is the only story in the Gospel of Luke where he features them both together. But you do get a sense just in those four quick verses that they had very different personalities. In fact, when they invited Jesus and his disciples to, to dinner, that's when you got to see who Martha really is because the moment that invitation went out, Martha was in overdrive. In my mind's eye, I can picture Martha, you know, just she's, she's, she's doing all the things that all of us have done to get ready for, for guests at her house. She's, she's cleaning and she's scrubbing and she's dusting and she's vacuuming. She's making sure everything is just so... Of course, that's nothing to say about the dinner that she has to get ready for that night's supper because, of course, it would be one thing if it was just Jesus coming over for dinner. But it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and his 12 closest friends. And so you can imagine that it was just a whole nother level of stress for Martha. In fact, I think verse 40 describes her well. It says, and Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. From the very beginning of the story, Martha is in overdrive. 
And what makes matters worse is not just how distracted and busy Martha tends to be in this story, but it's also how undistracted and unbusy her sister Mary tends to be. Because did you notice where Luke says Mary was the entire time? While Martha's in the kitchen working her fingers to the bone, Luke says that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. Which, of course, she knew that she was not supposed to do. Because according to first century societal norms, she knew that her place was in the kitchen. She was supposed to be helping her sister. That's what first century societal norms told her she was supposed to do. But not only that, but Jewish customs didn't allow her to be sitting at Jesus' feet. Because to sit at someone's feet was the posture of a disciple, and the posture of a disciple was only reserved for men. So Mary wasn't supposed to be there. But do you think she cared? Not one bit. I think the reason why is because for Mary, she saw this as her one golden This was her opportunity to finally be able to sit at Jesus' feet and to drink deeply from the well that is the living water. I think from the moment that Jesus walked in their house, she was paying attention to to that blinking yellow traffic light deep in her soul that told her, Mary, the dishes can wait. All of the preparations, they can be put on hold. This is an opportunity that does not come around very often, so just slow down and take advantage. Those things are important, but sitting at Jesus' feet is essential. Luke says that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and that made Martha livid. She couldn't believe that her sister would be so inconsiderate. I mean, with all of the things that they had to do to get ready for that dinner that night, she couldn't believe that Mary wouldn't step up and help. And so she goes to Jesus and she makes her complaint. She says, Lord, do you not even care that my sister isn't helping me? Would you please tell her to get off her lazy duff and help me in the kitchen? But notice what Jesus says. Notice that Jesus doesn't start off by chastising her or yelling at her, or saying, mind your own business. He's not dismissive of her whatsoever. No, he just looks at her and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by so many things, but only one thing is needed. Your sister figured that out. Your sister chose the better part, and it will not be taken from her. I love Jesus' response here. I love the way that he decided to reply to Martha's complaint. Because notice that what Jesus says to her, he's not suggesting in any way that all of the things that she's got on her plate, all of the balls she's trying to juggle, he's not saying that they're not important. He's just saying they're not the most important. And what Mary has chosen is the most important. You know, that's the opportunity that Lent presents to us. 
Every year, right around February or March, we start this 40-day journey towards Easter. And every year, it is an invitation for us to slow down. Every year, it is a chance for us to step off of the treadmill of our toxic busyness and to take time for those things that really matter. Indeed, it is the one time during the year that our faith calls us to be more like Mary than it does like Martha. Why? Because Jesus didn't call us to a life of productivity. He calls us to a life of discipleship. And discipleship is fundamentally incompatible with busyness. The season of Lent invites us into this, op- this opportunity, this time, this season that we don't get very often, it calls us simply to slow down and to choose what's essential over the things that are merely important. Now, back in 1995, uh, there was a journalist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. His name was Tim Madigan. And one day, Tim Madigan was told that he was being put on assignment, they said, we want you to go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and do a profile on Mr. Rogers. Tim Madigan said it was kind of a disappointing assignment, to be honest with you, because I grew up as more of a Captain Kangaroo kind of guy. And so I was hoping I would get that assignment, but instead I got Fred Rogers, and he said, I really didn't know a whole lot about him. I mean, I knew that he was like super nice and friendly and kind on TV, but He said, I honestly just thought it was a TV persona. I just figured he was acting like that. And off camera, he would be just like everybody else. But when I got to Pittsburgh, he said, I discovered the most amazing thing. The Mr. Rogers you see on TV is exactly the same Mr. Rogers you see off screen. He is polite and kind and friendly to a fault. In fact, he described him as Mother Teresa in a red cardigan. And there's just this sense of peace in his presence. He said, I loved everything about Mr. Rogers except for one character flaw. He was frustratingly slow. He said, that was frustrating for me because I'm the kind of guy who is always on the go. Let's get things done. Let's move to the next thing. I've got more interviews. I've got to get this done. I've got deadlines. Let's move. Mr. Rogers was having none of it. He, he, He was never in a rush, never in a hurry. He was always so methodical in everything he did. And Tim Madigan said, in reflection upon that, he said, I realize this because Mr. Rogers always strived to be present with whoever was with him. In fact, one day, they were getting ready to tape three successive episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood back to back to back. So they, the crew knew this is going to be a long day, it's going to be a busy day, and we probably are going to have to work some, at some point into the night. And so they were getting everything ready, and, and, and they called Mr. Rogers to come out to the set. They were just getting ready to roll tape when all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, Mr. Rogers spotted a 10-year-old boy sitting in the corner whose name was Justin. Um, Justin was confined to a wheelchair because a few years earlier he had developed a, a chromosomal disorder that had rendered 
him unable to walk. And so when the Make-A-Wish Foundation came to Justin and they said, all right, make a wish. If you could do anything in the world, what would it be? He said, I want to meet my favorite television friend. And so they invited him to the set. The only problem is they forgot to tell Fred Rogers about this. And so this was a bit of a surprise to him. So he comes out to the set. He sees Justin and his parents over in the corner. And of course, Mr. Rogers did what Mr. Rogers does. He stopped everything and made his way over to the family. He had a huge smile on his face, and he wrapped his arms around Justin, and then he bent down to Justin's level so that they could talk. And they talked, and they talked. The only problem is, Tim Madigan said they just kept on going. Five minutes turned into 10, 10 minutes turned into 20, 20 turned into 30, and by 45 minutes, everyone on set was getting a little antsy. So finally, the producer went up to Mr. Rogers and she said, Fred, I'm so sorry to do this. I really hate to interrupt, but we kind of got to get going. And so they finished their conversation and Mr. Rogers began taping his shows. After all three episodes were finished, Tim Madigan said, I still had one final interview I needed to conduct with Mr. Rogers back in his office. So we're walking back to the office, and he said, I just couldn't help it. I had to ask. He said, Fred, can I ask you something? Sure. That little boy, Justin, why did you make time for him? I mean, you, you knew what the day's schedule looked like. You knew you were about to tape three successive episodes. There was a lot of people who were, who were depending on you to be on time. So why would you take all that time to spend with that little boy? Is it important for you to, to be on time and get things done? And Fred Rogers said, yeah. He said, yeah, it is. In fact, I strive all the time to make sure that I can do the best I can to do that. But in the midst of what's important, I've, to, I've found that there is also that which is essential. And today, when I, when I saw a 10-year-old little boy in the room with us, I realized that that little boy needed to know he was loved. He needed to know that he matters. He needed to know that he is made in the image of God. So yes, he wasn't on my schedule, but I'm absolutely convinced he was on God's schedule. And personally, I can't think of a better use of time. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by so many things, but only one thing is needed. So what's your one thing? As we head into this holy season of Lent, what is the one thing you're going to do to slow down and to be intentional, to focus on the things that really matter, to foster your faith? What is the one thing that maybe you're going to fast from so that you can, you can make time to sit at Jesus' feet and you can make room for you to live out your faith. What is your one thing? Because whatever it is, I promise you this, when, when we get to the end of Lent, 
when we get 40 days down the road and you look back on all of the ways that you slowed down and were intentional and invested in your faith, I can promise you this, you will not regret it. Because while all of these things may not have been on your schedule, I promise you they were on God's schedule. And personally, I can't think of a better use of our time. Amen.